0: This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanx.org My name is Matt, and when you meet somebody, one of the first questions that you probably ask is, what do you do? It's a weird question, isn't it? Because the answer is, well, lots of things. You know, I, I, I make food, I drive the kids to school, I walk, I lie down, I watch football, I do lots of things. But when we ask the question, we all know what it means. We, because of the culture that we live in, we all understand, not just the English, but we understand that what do you do means, what is your job? What do you do for work? Or more, what do you do to get money? I asked someone, what do they do recently? And they said, well, I don't really need to work. And, so, and they do lots of things. They're a really interesting person. But when I asked them, what do you do? They thought I was asking them, what do you do to get money? I think that a much better way to start a conversation, to have an interesting conversation, is to ask somebody, what are you passionate about? Yeah. Or you can ask them, What's your story? You know, everybody is fascinating, and everybody has a story. And when you ask somebody, what's your story? You'll be amazed at the things that you learn, rather than when you ask the question, what do you do? What's your story? See, your story is not just where you go in your head on flights of fancy, but your story is what you actually do. How you spend your time, your money, and your energy determines what your story looks like and the way we decide how we will distribute these resources of time and money and energy that will in turn shape the story of our life are shaped by our beliefs. Now when it comes to important beliefs, and this morning we're talking about beliefs, I believe. When it comes to important beliefs, if you ask people today, a common response that you will get is that when it comes to the important questions, when it comes to the big things, when it comes to the things that shape my life, I try to look within myself. Imagine today I challenge you to get to Edinburgh. But how about if you had to do it without directions, And how about if you had to do it without GPS? And what about if you had to do it without a compass? And what about if you had to do it without a map? And what about if you had to do it without road signs? Or without asking anybody for help? Or without even the roads themselves? It suddenly becomes a lot more difficult to get to Edinburgh or to know when you've got there. And this illustrates why I look within myself fails, because actually we need other people. To get to Edinburgh, you will need other people. You will need that inventor. You will need that builder. You will need that planner. You will need that person who has gone before you and made it so much easier for you to get to Edinburgh. And because of other people, we can get there. Because of what we have created as a society, something that is very difficult becomes really, really easy. Because of other people. And often we talk about the fact that we want to look within myself when it comes to the big questions. But when we say that, what we are doing is simply being ignorant. That there are a myriad of influences on our life. And these influences are like climate. It's the culture that we live in. And these things influence us and shape our beliefs. And we think, when we say we look within ourselves, all we're doing is not being conscious of all the things that are influencing us to believe what we believe. And these things like directions and GPS and a compass and a map and signposts, these things serve as metaphors. For the resources of Christianity that we receive as a legacy of faith to help us understand. You see, we look within ourselves, so we say, for the big questions. But for the everyday questions, who do we ask? Google. We ask Google, right? We ask Google. We have a question, we ask Google. But the trick with Google, is what is the source that you're going to find? How do you know that a source is a trusted source? Next month, we go to vote on the UK's membership of the European Union. And I've heard a lot of people say, "Oh, there's all these comments and there's all these numbers flying around and there's all these arguments and one side says this this, and one side says that. So what I need to do is I'm going to go to a neutral source and I'm going to look at all the facts and then, based on this neutral source, I'm going to make my decision. Well, guess what? You ain't going to find it. Postmodernism has shown us the myth of neutrality. Nobody's neutral. Even when you try to be neutral, you can't be neutral because you have all of your life's experience and learning shaping what you do. There is no neutral source on the EU referendum. There is no place where you can go and find the objective facts. All you can do is listen to both arguments. And I think it's actually better when somebody puts their argument across and doesn't pretend to be neutral and says, this is my agenda, this is my belief, this is what I'm arguing for, and these are the reasons behind my argument because at least they have integrity, at least they're being consistent, and at least they're not misleading you by pretending that they're neutral you see, the thing about truth is, truth isn't something that we can ascertain by going to this one neutral source. And we've, we've learned that even though in some quarters there is still an arrogance about truth. There is the arrogance that we had at the height of modernity, where scientists and philosophers would proclaim that they had found an objective truth and a basis to base things on. But actually, that intellectual superiority has been smashed Although people still hang on to it. No, we don't have a human source of ultimate truth, a neutral place to look at the facts, but in fact, truth is something that we experience. You see, what I want to ask you this morning is this what is the fruit of what you believe? See, sometimes I meet people and they are so convinced about what they believe. They feel that what they believe is the absolute truth. They are right and you are wrong. But then I notice that it is making them bitter and twisted. And I think, wait a minute. What is it about what you believe that is producing that in your life? That you are so angry that you are spitting so much hate and vitriol towards us. What is it about what you believe that produces that in your life? You see, when I want to think about somebody's belief, I want to think about what the fruit that is produced in their life. Because Jesus said, that is how you really identify what people believe and what people are about. Look at what's produced. And sometimes the argument sounds good, but it doesn't produce good fruit. And that gives you a clue to the real source truth is something that we can experience as people and as a community. There's a community that a letter was written to, him. to us as Christians, we receive it as scripture. And it's in a city named Corinth. And this was a very cosmopolitan city. This was a big city. This was a trading city. This was a multicultural city, like the big cities around the world today. And like the big cities around the world, it had a lot of influences on its culture. And the people who were part of the first Christian community here in Corinth were influenced and pulled around by the people around them, the people that weren't part of the Christian community. Their lives often didn't look different wasn't producing different fruit from the people around them. So one of the early leaders in the church, a man named Paul of Tarsus, wrote a letter and he challenged them about what was being produced in their lives. And after he challenged them, he gets to the point and he says, listen, it's all about what we believe. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's recorded. As he writes to the people in this cosmopolitan city in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. That's the good news. That's the message I've shared to you. The belief which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you. That's what legacy is all about. What you receive and what you pass on. As of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So Paul says the most important thing, the thing of first importance that you can believe, that you can take your stand on, that you can build your life upon, is that Christ's birth, life, death and resurrection and appearances. That is of first importance. And this is the story we find ourselves in. You see, Christianity is an historical faith. Not in the sense that it's old But in the sense it's about real people, in real places, at real times. Christianity isn't simply a philosophy. It's not the work of one man who woke up one day and decided to write down some ideas and some concepts and some self-help and some imaginations and some stories and some myths. It's not the work of one man in that way. It's not simply about a holy book In that way, it's not simply about the performance of an invented ritual, but it's actually about the story that plays out across human history. It's actually about the story of God from creation to new creation and how God interacts with real people. Many of us, many of them are just like us in the way that they fail and they fall. And they don't always get it right. And this story of what God has done, what God is doing and what God will do is the story we find ourselves in. And it is the story we are invited into. And that's what Paul says. Listen, of first importance is not these moral issues that we need to address. Of first importance is this story because that changes everything. And this story has been passed on. And this is the legacy we receive. And first of all, that story has been passed on in Scripture. In the Bible that Christians use, we have received this legacy of faith by these men and women in these real times and places who've written down for us and shared with us their story, their eyewitness accounts, their adventures, their revelation, their songs, their poetry, Their wisdom is shared with us and we receive it. But the difficulty we have is that we are at a distance from the people who wrote this book. And what we do as we read something in a different time and a different place and a different setting and a different culture, we have to interpret what is being said. We can't help but interpret things. Ever had an email from somebody and shot straight back saying, "Well, oh, there's no need to be so rude." And then they call you up and say, "I wasn't—I wasn't being rude." Because we struggle, don't we, all the time to interpret things. And that's from somebody today communicating with somebody who knows us. So what do we do when we read a letter that wasn't written to us? It was written to somebody else. It was written by somebody we don't know. It was written a long time ago. It was written in a different culture. It wasn't written by the people like us with the power and the wealth and the status. It was written most of the time by the people without the power and the wealth and the status. So how do we deal with that? And we have to interpret this. It's like we all have a different perspective Have you ever been to a sports match with a friend, but you were both sat in different seats? And maybe you're at the cricket, and you're behind the bowler's arm, and you say, "Why are you swinging it round corners? But the guy sat in deep cover says, mate, I have no idea. I just kept seeing him miss. You ever been at the football match, and you say, that was definitely a penalty? I say, on Rosehead, I have no idea. I I couldn't see it. We all sit in a different seat, so we all see things differently. And it's the same with interpretation. It's like one of us sits in this seat, and we have our experience. And our life has been quite easy. It's been quite privileged. We had our schooling paid for. We had everything we ever needed. We had that opportunity at daddy's firm in the city. But we're reading a book written by the oppressed and the downtrodden from this seat. And then we have the person who writes the book. And they write to this situation and they see the situation of the, of the people in this city. And they see their lives and they see their challenges and they see their struggles. So they write the best thing they can write. And they're inspired By God's spirit, to write something that has a timeless quality to it, but at the same time is addressed to a particular situation. But you see, the people receiving that letter from this author, even though they're looking at the same situation, when they look at the challenge they face, they see it differently than the other person. See, other people's problems are always easier, aren't they? So that person in financial difficulty, you say, well, just do this and do that and then do that. And you'll be out of it in no time. But when you're in it, you see it totally differently. And then they talk to you about your relational difficulty and say, have you tried this? Have you tried that? That worked great for us. But for you, you feel like nothing's going to work. You see, even when two of us look at the same situation, we see it differently. And it's the same with scripture that we, we had in the Reformation, which was a key moment about 500 years ago in the history and the legacy of our faith that as Christians we need to understand, where the church had, had, had lost its way largely, and it needed to be brought back to the essence of what Jesus' message was about. And they had these catch cries that we only need scripture, sola scriptura, only grace, sola gratia and sola fide, only faith. And that was to bring back from all of the man-made constructions of religion that were actually weighing people down, that were actually abusing the message, that were actually distorting the message, so far that people were being uh, prevented from accessing it rather than invited into it. But you see, we as children of the Reformation, those of us who received the legacy of the Protestant, the protesters' tradition, as it divided from the Roman Catholic Church, can take this idea of sola, only, only Scripture, too far. And forget about the fact that we need, from our different seats, to interpret the Scripture. And actually, we have Scripture as a legacy that we should be thankful for, and that we should honour, but we have more than that. You see, we have the legacy of the Church. We have the legacy of Christian theology. We have the legacy of the creeds, and many of us who are going to maturity, we are going to a deeper understanding in our faith, need to be careful that within our stream and our legacy of church, that we don't throw out some of the resources that we've been given that are actually going to help us interpret the scripture. You see, Sir Isaac Newton, probably the greatest mind that our nation and maybe even the world has ever produced say this, if I've seen further, it's only by standing on the shoulders of giants. In our faith, we have some giants. We have giants like Irenaeus and Athenaeus and Gregory and Francis and Zwingli and Calvin and Wesley and Bootman and Barth and Maltman and Wright and Wolf. We have these giants in our faith. We have these people that we can take from, we can learn from, that are part of a legacy that we can be thankful for. You see, if something doesn't have a healthy root, it will soon die. And I want to say this, mistrust anything without healthy roots. You know that that new thing, that thing that rejects everything else, that that movement that says, well, we just hear directly from God. So we can't be challenged, we can't be questioned, we, we, because we just heard it from God. You want to mistrust that. You want to mistrust anything without healthy roots. If, if Christianity is to be trusted, we need a church that will affirm historical Christianity whilst always reforming and always rejecting the abuses and the movements away from the person and the character of Jesus. And what these roots and these things that we have to help us, these resources have have come through the early church in Scripture, but also in creeds. And these important creeds have been things that the churches have used in their worship and used to help them understand that as we pass this legacy on, we want to pass it on faithfully. We don't want a Chinese whispers situation going on, but we need to know that we are still the church. We need to know that we are still being faithful just as throughout history people have sought to be faithful to Jesus. And these creeds like the Athanasian Creed and a very important one, the Nicene Creed from 325 that was edited in Constantinople in 381. I encourage you, if you're pushing into your faith, to have a familiarity with these creeds. But this morning, I just want to take a moment to look at the Apostles' Creed. And church tradition says that this creed was passed on straight from the first followers of Jesus. And the Apostles' Creed makes this confession. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried, was He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's okay. It's just a lamp. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You see, this creed has been said for thousands of years. And this creed, actually, the Anglicans call it the, the baptismal creed or the baptismal symbol. And today, we're going to have a water baptism. And this creed is an example. It has many of the qualities of lots of the creeds. Now, when we hear this kind of thing, we, and we see things reduced into such a, a small uh, package that can fit onto one screen. We may think it's a bit simplistic, a bit too reduce, but a really helpful way to think about this that Tom Wright talks about is to think of the creeds a bit like your suitcase when you go on holiday. So when you go on holiday, you don't take your entire house with you, but actually you get a suitcase and you pack up into that suitcase all the kind of things that you will need, your clothes, your sunscreen, or your skis, whatever you're going to need, where you're going. And you pack it into your suitcase, you pack all your stuff, and then you go away. And then when you get to your destination, you unpack it again into the hotel room, or wherever you're staying. And the creeds are kind of like this, in that they are a portable story. There's something that we can say, and by saying a word like Father, which is just one word. But with that word comes a flood of emotions and understandings and experiences and colors and images through one word, Father. And that's kind of like what the creed is like. The creed, in a way, isn't all we need, but it's kind of like that suitcase, that it's like a portable story, that by one word, we're not reducing things simply to points and propositions, but but we're using a shorthand to to just point towards this bigger story. Because our belief as Christians particularly must be about story and not simply a few points. You see, think of it like this. We can put a, a piece of music up on the screen. And this is dots and lines. And it doesn't do much for you as dots and lines unless you can read it. Now, if you can read it, you can convert those dots and lines into waveforms. But hearing is much more than just seeing waveforms. That's pretty ridiculous. When we hear something, we feel so much more. You can hear it in your head. But if we were to hear this very same piece of music right now, in this auditorium, the emotion that would change, the way the atmosphere would be different, Not by just seeing it, but by hearing it. This music conjures up maybe an epic film, it conjures up a grand design. It it conjures up something big, something huge, something moving. And we can all respond to that. Every one of us who has the gift of hearing can respond to that, whereas we maybe can't respond to just an image. And this is the same with our beliefs. You see, this creed or Christian beliefs are not simply bullet points. They're like hearing music. When you hear about what Jesus did, it's not just something that you say, something that you do, something that you kind of repeat in a kind of monotone voice. No, it's like hearing music. It's like something wells up within you. Something stirs you when you have the connection to what it really means. It's far more than bullet points. It's like hearing music. You see, beliefs aren't meant simply to be walls, but signposts. Beliefs aren't simply uh, necessary for maintaining orthodoxy. They are not like us because we believe this. No, beliefs are a signpost. Beliefs lead you to something. See, we need to go beyond belief. The reason beliefs are so important is because they always lead us somewhere. And our Christian beliefs lead us somewhere 2. Beliefs are a key part of the legacy of faith, probably the key part. And that's why we have to talk about it in this series. Although it's a lot of information, although it's more of a seminar type format, but beliefs are the most important aspect of the legacy of faith that we receive and pass on. Not because they create arbitrary divisions between us and those who are not like us, but because they lead us to God himself. And if you notice about the text and the format of the creeds, they particularly lead us towards relationship with God and with people. The creeds talk about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Many of the creeds introduce the word Trinity. What's that? Well, that's our human inability to fully describe who God is. But what we're doing, what we're pointing towards, what we're leaning towards, is that the way God has revealed himself is that he's actually in relationship, even within himself. So relationship and community are at the center of creation itself. Of the created order and what it means to be human, because God himself is in relationship. And we say something so powerful when we say that. So the creeds particularly lead us into relationship. And because they are confessions, they lead us into relationship with God who is in relationship, even within himself. But also they lead us into relationship with one another, because you can't confess something only by yourself. You can confess it to God, but it really becomes powerful as it's a public confession. That's when it means something in your life. So that's why these creeds in many church traditions are often read out together, because this is something we do together. It's communal. The beliefs of Christianity expressed in creeds, expressed in Scripture, expressed in the writings, expressed in the history of the church, always lead us towards relationship. John Wesley said this, there are no holy solitaires. In other words, you can't be like God by yourself. Because even God is in relationship. And that is the beauty of Christian beliefs. That it isn't simply bullet points. But it leads us into relationships. And relationships mean transformation. They mean change. Every relationship changes you. And no relationship has the power to change you more than a relationship with God. And you know, if you're not changing, if you're not being challenged... ...on your beliefs, then you're not doing theology. Because God is always bigger and further beyond us. And if you agree with God on everything, then you have made yourself God in your own life. But always, for those of us who are leaning in, for those of us who are still growing... For those of us who want to go towards maturity, for those of us who want to be in relationship with God, every single week we should feel challenged. We should feel stretched. We should feel a pull on our character and our beliefs that shape our character. Every single week of every year. If you're not challenged and you're not changing, you're not worshipping God. You're worshipping yourself. Relationships bring transformation. They bring joy. There is no greater joy in life than relationships. There is no achievement that feels better than relationship. There is no title that will give you a greater joy than a healthy relationship. There is no amount of money you could amass where relationships would cease to become important. Relationships mean transformation. Relationships mean joy. And relationships mean significance. We find our significance through relationships. You can say, I am a father. I am a daughter. I am a sister. I am an aunt. I am a friend. I am a mentor. Relationships... Give us significance. And the important thing about Christian beliefs is not let's all sign up to these arbitrary beliefs so we can say we're not like those people over there. No, relationships invite us towards to help those people over there. But relationships, our belief that relationship is at the center of existence, of what it means to be alive, changes us is a place of joy and leads us towards significance, that our life can be significant. We can find that sense of purpose and meaning and significance through relationships. And healthy relationships come when we have a healthy relationship with God that leads us to a healthy relationship with others. You see, as Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he goes on in this this same section where we just read him. We call it chapter 15. And he says this, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with only human hopes, what have I gained? In other words, all the struggles I had in the last city that was in, the last big city I was trying to help, trying to reach. If I fought wild beasts and I only had human hopes, what have I gained? Because I'm not on the right trajectory. I need to be going into the trading business. These people are doing well. I see them with their purple cloth and their big houses and their leisure time. I'm in the wrong job. What have I gained through all these struggles? But you see, Paul has more than just his human hopes. Paul's understand that his belief means he's invited into a continuing story that started before him, but he's passing it on. He's, he, he's part of it today, because if he does what he can do today, he will pass on that legacy to the next generation, and that he's part of a story of ultimate hope. You see, every story makes demands on us. What has claimed your allegiance is the story that you believe in. It is a story in our culture that you have subscribed to, and what we need to do is take the blinkers off our eyes and actually acknowledge that there are so many influences on us. There are so many things that are pulling us. And once we have that awareness, once that veil is lifted, we can start to see things a bit more like they really are. And God actually promises that his spirit, he himself, will help us to interpret and understand what he has given us. And will be the ultimate interpreter, the ultimate help Along with everything we've received, all these resources that we need to avail ourselves of, of scripture, of theology, of creeds, of the church, that are there to help us, that God has provided with the witness of his spirit and the experience in your own life, to know that this is true and this is worth building my life upon because this is changing me and this is filling me with joy and this is giving me something of purpose and significance to live for. And the band are going to sing a song for us, which is based on the Apostles' Creed. And as they sing these words, I want these words to wash over you. I want these words to land in your heart. And as you see one word that's just a bullet point, I want it to be like hearing music. You see just a line, but it's not just a line, it's a story. You see a concept, but it's not just a concept, it's a person. And it's powerful when we lean in and we can agree with these words and say this, I believe. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.